I'm going to read a couple verses tonight, uh, all found in one chapter, John chapter 19, John chapter 19. So if you were to start kind of in the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We call those the Gospels, the four Gospels. They're all four different accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life and his death. His burial and his resurrection. So um, we often speak from those quite a bit. Uh, I have on my mind tonight uh, kind of a word that I like to speak on, but it's also a, an iconic thing that we often refer to. Uh, and so I'm just going to read a verse here, uh, very well known. John 19, and maybe we'll just start here reading a verse, uh, verse 17. John 19 and verse 17. John 19. And verse 17, this is what it says, talking about the Lord Jesus. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. In another gospel, it's called Calvary. Um, that's the Latin term. But he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Verse 19 says, And Pilate, he was the judge, wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And this title was read by many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew, and in Greek, and in Latin. So we're just going to uh, speak from these verses tonight. What's on my mind tonight to speak about, I have a title for my message. Sometimes that can help a listener. And I want to talk about the vocab or the vocabulary of the cross. Um, I don't know if anybody here in the meeting would claim that vocab was their strong point. Uh, I try to use like a new word every week and you hope that it sticks, right? And more than that, you hope that people understand you when you use it, which is usually often not the case. People say, what does that mean? Um, but uh, tonight, I would like to speak on words, vocabulary from the cross. You say, well, I wonder what he's going to speak on, because uh, there are different ways to go about that. When we refer to the cross here, uh, we know that the Lord Jesus is on the cross for six hours. Um, and the cross, probably one of the most iconic images uh, in this world. Uh, it was a friend of mine, actually another preacher, he told me, I don't know if it was happened to him or a story. He says, we all take it that everybody knows what the cross was about, but he went to a jewelry or he was had a friend of his who was at a jewelry store and the jeweler asked him, do you want a cross with the little man on it or without the little man on it? And so you'd say, it's just the cross, significant, but they forget about the man on the cross. It's just something that we wear on our necks, we put in our cars, we put on our buildings, and you'd say, uh, it, it becomes something that we think people know what we mean when we put it up, but maybe not, maybe not. And so when it comes to the cross, you say, we could speak about the words that the Lord Jesus said from the cross. And maybe some in our audience would be familiar with that. Sometimes we ask the kids, we're like, do you know all seven things that the Lord Jesus said from the cross? And usually you can get two out of the seven. But the Lord Jesus on the cross, he, he spoke about forgiveness. And he spoke about his, his family. 
He, he, also, he also spoke about the future. He said to the thief next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Spoke about the future. He also spoke about being forsaken. Sometimes we refer to places on earth that are God forsaken, that does not exist. And as far as I know, in all of human history, there's only one man who was God forsaken on earth, and that was Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks about being forsaken. He, he speaks words that, that tell us about him fulfilling scripture. He said, I thirst. He speaks words about it is finished. And he finally, he speaks to his father. And all these sayings on the cross, you say, we could look at them and they would be a treasure trove of truth. Maybe one night I will look at some of them. That's not my, my objective tonight. When I was thinking about speaking about the vocabulary of the cross, you think I could also speak about what some of the we would call them his critics or his enemies said. On the cross, he had enemies there that day. And they said, he saved other people, but he can't save himself. And we would say, that was a good thing. Because he could have saved himself, but he didn't. Because if he saved himself, I never could have been saved. We could have spoken about what his critics said. But tonight, I want to do something. I, I've never done it before. And I, um, hopefully, hopefully it goes okay. Um, sometimes you study words and you find out where certain words come from. I don't know, we have some people here who speak more than one language. And, and sometimes you're, you're looking for, oh, I wonder what that word means. And what does it mean in English? Or what does it mean in Spanish? Or sometimes some here maybe have taken Latin. What a useless course to take in school. But maybe you've done that. And you'd say, I want to know what that word means. Uh, for instance, if you were to take the word uh, homicide, which we hear all about in the news, and if you were to take the word decide, they have the same suffix, that word side. It means to kill. So you'd say homicide means someone killed someone else. The word decide means you kill off one option. You've got to decide what to have for breakfast tomorrow. You're going to kill off one option and choose another. You know, tonight, you're going to have to decide about this man's death, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? Think about other root words. Uh, uh, I was looking, sometimes people say that what we're talking about here is just, uh, just stuff that's a uh, myth. So maybe just, uh, it's just, uh, fables or that. And I looked up the word phony and it actually comes of all people, the British, that they, with their thick accents, used to refer to fake gold rings as being phony with an F. And that's where we get phony from. And we use it all the time. We, talk, we call people phony. We call things. We go down to Chinatown. We say, it's phony, right? We know what it looks like, a real Louis Vuitton. And if it, well, maybe we don't know what it looks like. But we know that it's phony if it comes from there. And you say, these words, they come from something. They mean something, especially in our language. In our language, it means something. We don't refer to people as being barbarians anymore, at least not in the 21st century. But you say, where did that term come from? Well, it come from people who were Greeks. And when they heard other people speak, it's, they said it sounded like almost like sheep. Bah, bah, bah. And that's where they come up with the term barbaric. And they refer to people as barbaric. If you, if you think of the word jargon. We say, oh, we use different jargon, religious jargon, sports jargon, uh, work jargon. It means, it means a different speech that maybe you don't understand. Hopefully, I don't do that tonight, where I use speech that you don't understand. But jargon, it comes from a French word, which it, it, it's, it's what birds sound like when they're tweeting to each other. I guess today you'd say it's what we do all day long on the Internet, is tweet to one another. But, but, but it, it all has this connotation that these words come from someplace. When you look at the word cross... The word cross has 
has given birth, as it were, to words that we use in our English language. Words that maybe you use today. Maybe you use them this week. Maybe you've never used them. And I'm hoping that some of these are commonplace. But I'd like to speak on some words that we get from the word cross. Now, that's an English word, cross. But, but what we get from this word, when it gave rise, we read here in John that it was written in languages above the cross. But the cross has given rise to different words. And I want to speak on some of those tonight. The first word I'd like to speak about is this word. Maybe you have used it. It's the word excruciating. X means out of, and crush means cross. It means it's out of the cross. Excruciating. You think, what a significant word. You'd say it would have to have cross in it, because if you know anything about the cross, it was excruciating. It was something that Roman citizens could not be crucified because it was it was so such a such an agonizing such a such an an awful way to die that if you were a Roman citizen you it was almost as though they went out to the far reaches of, of, of the barbaric world and they brought something back to Rome and they only did it to people who were not their own citizens to crucify someone you say that word excruciating we only use it for suffering and agony and things that are just, you'd say, beyond what we are able to bear as humans. And sometimes we refer to it not just in the physical sense. Sometimes you can have excruciating pain, you'd say, at the loss of a loved one. Sometimes you can have an excruciating pain, you'd say, because of something that went awry in life. And you'd say it's excruciating. And you mean it in that sense that it was just awful. I want to think about Christ here. I want to think about the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to his cross you say, it was excruciating. Here was a man who was nailed in his hands and in his feet on this cross for six hours from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. At 3 p.m., we also read about something excruciating that they put a spear through his side. We read about men who, smoke, who, who, who hit him with their hands. They pulled the, 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 the very hairs from his beard. We also read it, they spit upon him. But those things were just an indignity. But there was pain involved. But you know what? We come in our Bibles to a verse in 1 Peter, and it says this, Christ once suffered for sins. And you'd say, excruciating. Sometimes in your life and in mine, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I venture that most of us would or have met someone that pain in life is one of the main reasons that the distance between God and I is so great. When something goes wrong, the distance in our, between us and God, you'd say it just got bigger. If something happens to me or to a loved one, I look to heaven, I can't understand why it happened, and this distance gets bigger and bigger. In my mind, it does. You'd say the unfortunate circumstances, the excruciating parts of life lead to this great gap. My friend, that's not so. The only gap between you and God has never changed in size, and it has never been bigger or smaller since day one. And that gap was not caused because of pain in your life. It was caused because of sin. Whether it was one sin, a thousand sins, or a million sins, it would have created a gap that no man can measure. It was not pain. It was sin. And the Bible tells us about this excruciating circumstance of the cross. It said, yes, Christ did suffer. 
excruciating pain that day, pain untold, pain that you or I will most likely never experience in our own lives. And yet the Bible goes clear right to the matter that's at hand. And it says Christ suffered for sins. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And so when I look at that word, and next time you use that word excruciating, remind yourself, it speaks about things that are at the bottom of our human existence. It is the things that we would do well without if we lived 75 years and never had to experience it. And yet Christ suffered for our sins. The next word I was thinking of, excruciating being one, Maybe you've used this. We say this when we talk about something and we want to get down right to the point. When you want to get the essence of something, when you want to hone in on what it is exactly you're thinking about in any grand subject. It could be economics. It could be, uh, it could be athletics. It could be any subject. And you'd say, when you want to get down to what actually makes the difference in any subject matter, you'll usually say, this is the crux of the matter. This is the crux of the matter. We say, we use that word, C-R-U-X, and we say, this is it. This is the, the, this is the dividing point. This is the, the pivotal point. This is where everything, it, it, it wraps around this. We'd say the, the crux of the matter in, 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 in our country, and you could, you could go on and on. You know, few people actually know. You say, right now, it seems that a lot of people in the country really don't like each other. And you'd say, what's at the root of that? What's the crux of the matter? Well, I mean, it, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd love you to tell me, because I don't think anybody has actually decided on that. You'd say, why, why is it that we don't get along as Americans, 330 million of us? Why is it that it seems 150 million hate another 150 million or, or just don't maybe they hate's too strong? They just, what is it? And, and you could say, we could probably, if you got one reason tonight, we would get 10. And it's so hard to get to that divisive, that divisive crux of the matter. If you were to say to me, what is it that gives a, a World Cup team the best chance at winning this Saturday? Well, once again, you'd say, oh, strong midfield, oh, great goalie. You'd say, um, no, it, uh, a great fan base who can travel all the way to Russia of all places. Maybe that is the, the pivotal thing, the crux of the matter. But we would be divided on that. Here's one thing that the Bible's not divided on, and no, neither are we. You can be in heaven without a lot of things. You could be in heaven tonight without a baptism. You could be in heaven tonight without ever stepping foot in a church, a temple, a synagogue, a cathedral. You could be in heaven tonight if you never left your home. You could be in heaven tonight if you could not read. You could be in heaven tonight if you could not hear. You could be in heaven tonight if you could not see. You could be in heaven tonight if you could not walk and you never could make a pilgrimage. If you never could get down on your knees to pray. You could be in heaven without all those things. But my friend, if you miss everything I say in these 25 minutes, please remember this. You can never, never, no, never be in heaven without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That goes for every one of the 7 billion people on this earth from here to Tokyo, from the North Pole down to the, North Pole down to the South. No one will be in heaven without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one. It does away with a lot of the ambitions of the religious world. It does away with all of that. And you say, says who? Says who, Dave? Says this book. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 says this. 
He says, God forbid that I should boast in anything. And he had a lot to boast about. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to the crux of the matter, what is the one pivotal thing in these 66 books? Uh, something that, that, that spans three different, uh, as it were, 1,500 years or, 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 or uh, 40 different writers. It, it's in multiple languages. You say, can you come down and tell me what is the crux of the matter of this book? Yes, I can tell you it without any shadow of a doubt that without Christ, without Christ, nobody is forgiven. Without a cross, no one can have peace with God. No one. And, and, and I know that we, we speak to various audiences tonight, and you say it's easy for me to get up here and to just, as it were, toss out things. Sometimes people say you just kind of pontificate, or you get up here and no one can answer back to you. I, 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 speak, I speak knowing that the God of heaven listens to every word that I say. And I would tell you, you search from cover to cover, and you find out this, that God had a son. Thank God he did. And that the only reason that I ever become a son is because that son was crucified. That's the only chance. We spoke last night when people get mad when there's only one option. And yet when you're in need, no one gets mad at one option. Those, that, 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 that young soccer team that was, that was trapped in that cave for the past, as it were, uh, uh, those, those weeks on end. You say, there was never a, a dictate from their part on who should come and save them. All they wanted was a savior. If you recognize where you were, if you recognize the sin in your soul, you'd say, the choices would, 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 would make no sense. The fact that there was a man who came to this world and went to a cross in order to save me, that is the crux of the matter. Finally, the last word, very similar to the, the second one, but yet I would say significant in itself is this word that maybe most of us has used, and it is the word crucial. Crucial. It comes from the same word, from the same word, cross. We get these three words, excruciating, uh, the crux, the, 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 the pivotal point of the matter, and we get this last one, crucial. This crucial point, something of great importance, something that you, you can't go without. And I would say this tonight, there are a lot of crucial things that I could talk about, but let me just focus on this. What you think about sin tonight will determine what you think about the cross. What you think about sin, and I, we, had, we had some individuals in the meeting, and sometimes we just speak about sin as though everyone knows it. And sometimes, maybe in our mind, all that we're thinking about is, is murder and, and theft, and we're thinking about people who have scammed other families out of millions of dollars. And yet, the Bible, and more specifically, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, he, he put lust on the same level as adultery, and, and he put anger on the same level as murder. Uh, and and he, he did this so that you would recognize it's only human beings that measure sin. Because when the Lord Jesus had to measure sin, actually the one that made him most angry above everything else was this, that some people thought they were better than others. Some people thought they were less of a sinner than others. That's the one that he put at the top. And what you think about sin tonight usually determines what you think about the cross, because if sin means nothing, really the cross has no meaning. 
If sin is just a minor footnote to my life, I don't need a cross. But if sin is the one thing that's going to drag me down to a lost eternity, to a place called hell, then the cross is the only answer that the Bible presents for that problem. And when it comes to something you say so crucial, we remember this, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he chose the cross. Our brother said the other night, and I would so adamantly add my amen to it, that though they had put a thousand nails in his hands, and had they put a thousand more in his feet, had they not put one spear but ten through his body, he would not have died. They did not take his life from him. He gave his life away. He's the only man in the history of humanity that chose to lay down his life. Why? We, we have to ask ourselves that. I, I don't, it doesn't matter what, what religious affiliation you have tonight, how you were brought up, and how you plan to go on the rest of your life. But if you have to come to terms with this, if, if, if he chose to lay down his life at Calvary on a cross, there's one crucial thing that I must determine. Was it for me? Was it, was it for me? Because if it was for me, for my sin, if I was the one who belonged on that cross, if it was my sin that should have took me there, if he took my place, then I realize this from some of the vocab that comes from the cross, especially his final words when he said, finished. That the one who said finished at Calvary, if he was there instead of me, what else could I add to this? A lot of times, and you could go to places that would call themselves Christian and they would say, you add the cross to your faith. No, you add nothing to the cross. The only thing that was ever added to the cross was my sin. And it was nailed to the cross because he was nailed to the cross. And from that cross, I receive forgiveness of sins. If I'm willing to take the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior, if I'm willing to believe what is said in this book. And so from that word cross, we get three very unique words that we still use today. It was excruciating. It was agony untold. But never forget, Christ suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Not only was it excruciating, it is the crux of the matter. This is the pivotal point that we can boast in nothing in ourselves. If heaven asks us for our resume, you might as well shred it today. Heaven doesn't want a resume. It wants a referral to one man who hung on a cross, Jesus Christ. The one man that we boast in, that we glory in because he was on a cross. And it is such a crucial thing to recognize. The reason he was there was for me. For me alone. The Savior died. That he died so that I could live. And I need nothing else. I add nothing else to this because God adds nothing else to it. God found perfection and satisfaction in the six hours at Calvary. And who would I be if I searched somewhere else for satisfaction at any other place except for Calvary and except for the man who died there, the Lord Jesus Christ? If, if this is something that, 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 that seems so uncomfortable to some in our audience or, or something that seems like this is just another take on, on religiosity or, or some odd interpretation of the Bible, I would encourage you just to pick up your New Testament and read it for yourself. 
And you tell me if there was any other way for me to be in glory outside of the cross of Christ. I want to know. Because the Bible doesn't know another way. And this is the only thing that is worth believing. Because it's the only thing that never expires. It's truth. And it tells us that the cross was the means by which God could forgive sinners. Because his son died for my sins at Calvary. Pray that you might trust that. That you might be saved tonight. Do you turn, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. <clears throat> and we'll read at verse 8. <clears throat> Ephesians, chapter 2, and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man, lest anyone should boast. I'm going to ask you to think about one word tonight. It is the word salvation. Salvation. That cross, that death, that suffering, it all was so that you tonight could have offered to you a bona fide offer of salvation. There are three facts that we have just read that I think would shut the doors on a multitude of religious edifices throughout the world. Here is what we know from the Bible about salvation. Number one, it is by grace. Number two, it is through faith. Number three, it is a gift. Those three things run completely opposite to how we think about reaching heaven. Salvation is by grace. You can't earn it. Salvation is through faith. You can't work for it. Salvation is a gift. You can't purchase it. And so I would love to just ask you, as though I had time to um, have a personal conversation with each person here tonight, I would love to ask you whether you have been saved by grace, by grace. Now, generally speaking, justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you, you get what you don't deserve. And God and his grace is offering salvation. I think this is evident when you see the objects, the people to whom God is offering salvation. If at your leisure you read the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians, you'll find two descriptions about us, what we are like. Verse 2 calls us children of disobedience, or actually children of the disobedience. That is referring to our nature, the fact that we are sinful, that we are linked with what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve turned away from God. And by one man's disobedience, many became sinful. We came into the world with a sinful nature, 
because our parents came into the world with a sinful nature, because their parents came into the world with a sinful nature, and no matter what the color of your skin is or your ethnicity, if you trace the family tree back far enough, we all go back to Adam and Eve in that garden, and the fact that we have received a nature that is prone to sin. I, I, it may be that you've heard preachers talk about total depravity. That doesn't mean that I am so depraved I couldn't be more depraved than I am. What it means is that all of me is depraved. Certainly, there are sins I have never committed that I could commit. I could act more depraved than I am. But what the Bible is presenting to us is that every part of our makeup, our body, our soul, our spirit, our mind, our intellect, every part of us has been affected by the fact that at the core of our being, what the Bible calls our heart, is this power called sin. And we are children of the disobedience. How are people who are born sinners and live as sinners, how are they ever going to be in heaven? How will they ever have salvation? Only because it's offered by grace. You will notice the other term that's used that is in verse 3. Because if children of the disobedience is a look back to the Garden of Eden, and it's referring to our nature as sinners, then this next expression, children of wrath, is a look ahead. And it is our future. And it is the fact that as men and women who have sinned against God, we are deserving of judgment and wrath. And that living as we have lived, if we were to die that way, we would face the wrath of God forever. How then could you ever be saved? By grace, a person is saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you want me to prove to you how wonderful this grace is? There's a hymn that we sometimes sing that starts with these words, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, marvelous grace. When John Newton wanted an adjective to describe his thinking about grace, what did he pick? Amazing, amazing grace. And it is amazing because the grace of God is offering you, first of all, forgiveness. Guilty sinners, men and women who have sinned against God, lawbreakers, every one of us. God is offering to forgive your sins, to wipe the slate clean. You realize what an incredible thing that is? Because forgiveness can only come from the wronged person. If, um, if, when, the meeting was, if when the meeting was done... This will not happen, I can assure you. But if when the meeting was done and you're standing at the back of the tent visiting with different people, if somebody came up to you and slapped you in the face, and I saw it, and I rushed over <laughs> to the person who slapped you, and I said, look, I, I saw what happened, and I want to tell you, I, I, I forgive you for slapping her. I forgive you for slapping him. You, as the slappy and not the slapper, would want to know, where in the world do I get the authority to tell that person that he or she is forgiven? You were the one that got slapped. The only way he could be forgiven is if you forgave him. God is the one we have sinned against. The only way we could ever be forgiven is if God were willing to forgive us. So if you reverse that, if God were not willing to forgive sins, please tell me, what would we do? But God is a God of grace. And he is offering to forgive your sins tonight. If you will trust Christ 
Does not matter who you are, does not matter what you have done, does not matter how long you have been a sinner, does not matter how far down the broad road you have gone. If you turn to the Lord Jesus tonight, here is what the Bible says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses from all sin. And the Lord Jesus proved by his miracles, he did something in the visible realm to prove that he was able to do something in the unseen realm to conv convince people that he was able to forgive sins. He said to a paralyzed man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he was proving to these people that he was able to forgive sins by showing that he had power in a realm that they could see. And so what he said was that he has power on earth to forgive sins. I don't want you to put your hand up. But I wonder, is there anybody in the meeting tonight and you would like to have your sins forgiven? Because the grace of God, the grace of God is offering to wipe the slate clean. It's offering salvation to doomed men and women. When you think of what is at the end of a Christless life, when you think of what the future conveyed by these terms, children of wrath, the judgment to come, the wrath to come. Think of that at the end of the life of a person who is not saved. And instead, God is offering you heaven instead of hell to live with him forever instead of existing under judgment eternally. What grace is that? And the salvation that God is offering you, and my dear brother has already referred to this. Do you know what God's offering to do? He is offering to put you into his family to make you a child of God. In fact, the Bible actually uses the word adoption. Now, there are many people who have children. I will, because there are children in the meeting, I will be careful in my choice of words. There are many people who are surprised when a child comes along. They weren't planning on it. But there's no such thing as an unplanned adoption. People will jump through hoops to adopt. And they'll look for people. And they will select a child. And uh, I don't know if you, if you listened to the funeral service for the late President Ronald Reagan, but when his son Michael spoke, he referred to himself as the chosen one because he was adopted. He was picked. Do you know what God wants to do tonight? Pick you. Select you. Make you one of his children. Put you into his family. What kind of grace is this? If, if there were a person... Tomorrow morning, if there were a person walking into a high-rise building in New York City and there just happened to be some homeless person there on the street begging and the man were to reach into his pocket and pull out a $20 bill and put it into the cup or place it on the plate of the beggar, we would think, how magnanimous, $20. He doesn't even know the man and he's giving him $20. Suppose instead he were to say, come with me and he were to take him home and to clothe him and put him in his family, and make him an heir of all that he possesses. You say, well, that's, that's absolutely ludicrous. Nobody would do that. God does. God does. He's willing to take you tonight, a sinner, and put you in his family. And I'm not stretching the point because it's Bible language where he will make you his heir. Heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus. God wants to share everything he has with you. A guilty sinner on the way to hell, God wants you to have salvation. But it is by grace. 
See, if you try to earn salvation by being a good person, if you hope to deserve it as a result of how you live, you will never get salvation. But if you come as a guilty sinner, you can have salvation on these terms, salvation by grace. Did you notice that the second thing is that salvation is through faith? You can't work for it. Now, when you come to the Bible, faith is never presented as a, a standalone thing in itself. So I hope I would not confuse you if I were to say that it is not faith that saves, but it is faith in Christ that saves. It's not a matter of how strongly a person believes or even what he believes. It's in whom he believes. A person could very, very strongly believe and have faith that his church is going to get him to heaven. But it's faith in Christ that saves. It's the opposite of works. It's the opposite of a person working and laboring. And, and instead, it's a person relying on the work that the Lord Jesus did, the excruciating work of Calvary. We just had some visitors, and um, I live just across from the city of Philadelphia. And the people who were visiting uh, with my wife and me um, love history. And actually, one of them came from Florida just to be able to tour the historic sites of Philadelphia. The Liberty Bell. Independence Hall. Do you remember what happened in 1776? There's three things I know were composed in 1776. I'll let you judge which is the most important of the three. Away over in Scotland... A man wrote a book about finances that is the Bible in the financial world, still to this day. Adam Smith. In the city of Philadelphia, you'd have to go to just about 6th or 7th and Market. They actually tore the building down and put a hot dog stand there. And then for the bicentennial, they got rid of the hot dog stand and they rebuilt the Graff House, which they now call the Independence House. And on that red, inside that red brick building is where, and that was the suburbs of Philadelphia at the time, just about six or seven blocks from Delaware River. Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, and then crossed it out self-evident that all men are created equal. Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith, Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson. And a man named Augustus Toplady wrote these words. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Do you know what some of the words are he wrote in that immortal hymn? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. You've heard about that cross tonight, haven't you? Christianity is the only religion in the world that tells you, come empty-handed and God will fill your hand. Don't bring your money. It's not going to work. Don't bring your good life. Don't, don't offer God your heart. Everything about you and me is marked by sin. It is unacceptable. But salvation is through faith in the Lord Jesus. This is the sole option. 
that is open to people who are spiritually helpless. What, what else could we do? If I'm a child of disobedience with a sinful heart, if I am already on a road that's taking me to eternal punishment and judgment in hell and the lake of fire, how else could I be saved but by another? And so on the basis of grace, God is offering salvation through faith in his beloved son. Have you ever wondered why the Bible says salvation is by believing on the Lord Jesus? Why, why doesn't it say that you can be saved by believing on the Holy Spirit? Or believing on God the Father. Why is it always he that believes on the Son has everlasting life? Why does it say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish? Why does John write he that has the Son has life? He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. Why? Is it faith in Christ that saves? because it wasn't God the Father and it wasn't the Holy Spirit it was the Son of God who loved you and died for you it was the Son of God who went to the cross and faith in Christ will save you because Christ died for our sins now as I close would you please notice that salvation is a gift you cannot purchase it there are no collections at the gospel tent. And one of the reasons is we want you to understand that, that, that salvation is absolutely free to you. It cost God everything he had. It cost Christ his life. But it's absolutely free to guilty sinners. People like free, don't they? Is there anybody that doesn't like free? When you see, when you see an ad, they've caught on, haven't they? They put on that, that saying um, that things are on a 50% sale just doesn't register with you so much as saying buy one, get one free. Free. People like free. Don't get in their way at Costco or Sam's when the samples are being given out for free. People like free. They like things that are free, but bizarrely, there's one thing people don't want to have for free. Salvation. And that's strange. Isn't that strange? If somebody offers them a sample in Sam's, that's delicious, thank you. What aisle is this in? You're happy to take it. If somebody says to you, we have free water here today, it's a blistering day, would you like a bottle of water? Thank you very much, that's very kind. At a parade when they're giving out flags, you're thanking them, you take the little flag and you're waving it on a 4th of July parade, free. The greatest thing a human being could ever have that we could never buy that would be impossible for us to obtain any other way. We don't want to take it for free. You know why? Because if you take salvation as a gift from God, you're admitting I am a bankrupt, penniless sinner and can only be saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ as a gift. So if salvation is this way, if it is by grace, if it is through faith, if it is a gift, why don't you take that gift tonight? Why don't you take that gift tonight? What would keep you from taking that gift tonight? When um, President Teddy Roosevelt, the future President Teddy Roosevelt, during the Spanish-American War, when he needed supplies 
he went to the very well-known Clara Barton, who would be the founder of the Red Cross, and he offered to buy the supplies that he needed for his soldiers, the Rough Riders. Clara Barton turned him down. I think he was a colonel at that point. He went to a, one of the other officers and he said, I, 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 I couldn't believe him. I told her what we needed and I offered, I offered to pay for it and, and she refused. And he said, go back and ask for them instead of offering to pay. Just go back and ask for them. So back he went to Clara Barton. No money in his hand. And asked her. She said, certainly. Certainly. You couldn't buy it. But she was willing to give it. You can't buy salvation. Can you hear me in the back? You can't buy salvation. But you can have it tonight as a gift. Because the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope... I hope that you will leave the tent tonight, this 10th of July. I hope you will leave the tent tonight for the first time in your life with something that you have never had before and that you will never lose for the rest of your days. Salvation by grace, through faith in Christ, and received as a gift.